Today's gospel reading is a hard one to digest. Jesus tells us, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The implication is that you have to be crucified with Christ. After all, that's what happens when you pick up the cross. The last time I checked, however, there aren't any appointments for crucifixion in Minnesota. So what does this mean for us today? Stay tuned to find out. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. The reading is from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Let us be attentive. Then, when Jesus summoned the crowd along with his students, he said to them, If someone wants to follow behind me, let him renounce all claim to himself. Pick up the stake he'll be hung on and follow me. Whoever, in fact, wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the good news will save it. What kind of profit, tell me, does a person realize from the entire universe if he loses his life? What would someone give in exchange for his life? Whoever, in fact, is ashamed of me and the things I've said among this unfaithful, culpable generation, the son of humankind, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy messengers, will also be ashamed of him. And he said to them, Amen, I tell you, there are some standing here who won't taste death until they see God's kingdom has arrived with power. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. That reading was Mark 8, verses 34 through 38, as well as verse 1 from chapter 9. If we're listening closely, today's gospel is a challenge to all of us, but that's only if we're listening closely. Most of us mishear today's gospel, and as a result, its challenge gets dismissed. We heard Jesus say that if anyone wants to follow him, they must first pick up their cross or stake, as the translation put it, and then follow him. This, of course, implies that you yourself are going to be crucified. But what most of us hear is something much, much tamer. We hear, if you want to follow Christ, be baptized and become a Christian. We've watered down the message of picking up the cross to one of simply wearing a gold cross around your neck. We've tamed down the message of following Christ to death to a message of, go to church on Sundays. And those other days of the week, Monday through Saturday, don't worry too much about them. Do what you want, as long as you're in church on Sunday mornings. And even then, we have a hard time doing that. How often do we hear, just make it to church before the gospel is read? Or how often do priests hear, what time is communion? The cross has lost its radicalness. 
we no longer see the kingdom of God as opposing the power of Caesar's kingdom. Instead, we've commercialized Christianity so that it fits neatly into our busy schedules. Or at least it fits when we don't have Sunday morning sports games to attend or watch. However, the message of picking up your cross is not supposed to fit neatly into our lives. It isn't supposed to make us feel comfortable or good about ourselves. And the message of the cross definitely was not designed by Jesus to be a fundraising opportunity for institutions named after the cross. The message of the cross is a challenge to examine ourselves, to change what must be changed, to put to death those parts of us that are no good, to repent, and to change our lives. How does the cross do this? Let's start by looking at Jesus' crucifixion. After Jesus is betrayed by one of his own students with a kiss, he's dragged before the authorities. The exact sequence of events differs between the Gospels, but ultimately, Jesus is presented before Pilate. Pilate represents Caesar's kingdom. Today, perhaps, instead of Caesar, Pilate would represent presidential power, or perhaps corporate money, or Wall Street, or perhaps even oil barons. The point is that Pilate is earthly authority at its fullness. He has the power of death. And when Jesus is presented before the crowds, they don't side with the kingdom of God. Instead, they cuddle up to earthly power and they begin to shout, Crucify him! This may confuse you. How can the crowds who have been healed by Jesus, who have been taught by him, now turn on him? The reality is, it's no different today. I can't tell you how many Facebook posts I've seen from Orthodox Christians pointing out that King Charles III is tied to the Orthodox Church through his father's Greek side. If it suits you, everyone wants to cuddle up to earthly power. Everyone wants to look important. And if it's to their advantage, everyone will end up yelling, crucify him. And so, earthly power does what it does best. It wields its power by torturing and putting to death an innocent man. It's only after he's dead that a Roman centurion can look up at Christ and see him for who he really is, the Son of God. It's here that I want to pause for a moment. I think this is a really important part of the story. We as Orthodox Christians may want to start praising the centurion as a saint for his confession. In fact, we have named him, and you can find his hagiography in the Synaxarion. But there's something more happening in this moment. Firstly, note that it's only in the death of Jesus that he's recognized by this foreigner as the Son of God. Secondly, note the implications of this moment. If Jesus is the Son of God, it means there's a realization that the crowds have put an innocent man to death. The key word, the one that makes us think about this whole thing again, is innocent. It was an innocent man who was put to death. Jesus didn't deserve what happened to him. His death isn't the result of something he did. 
is the result of something society did. In other words, Jesus is a scapegoat. Instead of acknowledging human fallenness and brokenness and working to fix it, it's easier to point the finger at someone else and blame them. Put that one to death. It's his fault. For those of us with brothers and sisters, I'm sure we can all recall a time in our childhood when we did something, but when we were caught by our parents, we fudged the truth and said our sibling did it instead. Or at work, if we're doing a team project and the whole thing goes south, how often do we say it was another team member's fault? In seeing Christ for who he really is, our eyes are opened. We see Caesar's kingdom for what it really is, a brutal and violent kingdom that makes its wealth off the backs of others. It's an empire that maintains its importance by shedding innocent blood. Earthly power is a ruse, an excuse for violence and oppression. Put bluntly, in the crucifixion of Christ, the scapegoat mechanism is revealed. Because of this, we can't help but to think about our own situation. Are our institutions, our governments, any different than Caesar's? How have we betrayed innocent blood? How have we supported today's corrupt powers as they perpetuate violence and oppression? If the cross is functioning properly, we begin to see that we too would have shouted, Crucify him. So the death of Christ opens our eyes, and it reveals our own violent ways, our crime against innocence. It reveals that part of ourselves that we want to hide and forget. While we may not have the power to change institutions or topple governments, and that's usually a bad idea anyway, we do have the power to change ourselves by confronting our own sins and crucifying those things in us that need to be changed. It isn't easy to confront the worst part of ourselves. We're fallen, broken, and the stain of sin is ugly. We'd rather let our egos tell us that we're okay, the best, and believe that nothing is wrong. But we need to crucify our egos so that we can see our own failings. In seeing Christ's cross, we pick up our crosses and follow Him. Repentance becomes our model as we carry the wood across our shoulders. And the path to the side of crucifixion leads us in a new direction, a direction that ultimately leads to resurrection. Walking the way, the way of the cross, means not fearing crucifixion because we realize that God is is king, not Charles. And that, my friends, is really good news. Until next time, God bless.